Well, welcome everybody to all of our campuses meeting throughout the Twin Cities today. I'm glad you made it to church on a chilly day. I want to welcome those of you also who are watching online. We know that you are watching from homes and apartment places and maybe a dorm room, and we know that this is your connection to our church. And so we always want to welcome you, and we think about you and pray about you as well. So welcome today to you. Hope everybody had a great Christmas and New Year, and that everyone survived the family craziness that tends to boil up. It boils up in our family too a little bit. You know, I don't make resolutions generally uh, for a new year, but I do keep a Bible verse in front of me at my desk, and I look at and I rely on this single verse every single day when I come to work. Philippians 4.15, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Every day I face, I come to work, and there are things in my life that are challenging to me that even uh, make me afraid a little bit sometimes and feel inadequate and weak. And so every single day, I try to remind myself and dial into this promise that I can do all things. And here's the key phrase, through Christ. It's not my strength. It's through his strength who gives me the, the strength to do the things that I'm faced with. And maybe that can be your verse for this year too, 2016. Friends, you can do all things through Christ. You can get through all things. You can overcome all things. Really, you can, not on your own power, but through the power of Christ who gives you the strength. You can do it uh, as well as I can when we rely on him. But today we continue our new series called Dumb Things Christians Say. And I, <laughs> I say all kinds of dumb things in life. The other day I was on the elliptical machine and one of the regulars walked in. He jumped on the machine next to me. And I've never brought up the subject or faith of faith or church with him because I don't know him that well, but he brought it up. And he said, Bob, I just got to ask you. He said, we live near the Lionel Lakes campus and every weekend it's like a traffic jam. He was kind of bothered by it. He says, what's going on up there? Now you have to understand, I've waited five years for this guy to ask a question like that, five years. And I could have said, you know, man, the music's great. The message deals with what God has to say about relationships, life, and stress. It's the best hour for about 23,000 people. You should come. That's what I could have said. What I actually said was, you know what our secret is? We give away free beer. I mean, come on. I don't know what I, why I said that. But then he said, count me in. I'll come to a church like that. It actually led to a good conversation. What a dumb thing. <laughs> but today's dumb thing that some Christians say is that Christians should never judge. Dumb, dumb thing. Based on Matthew 7, 1, though, that Jesus says, do not judge or you too will be judged. In the same way you judge, other, judge others, you too will be judged. So it's understandable why people say you shouldn't judge because Jesus said it. But when he said, don't judge... Did he actually mean we should never make wise judgments about anything? Never use our discernment, never use our brain, not make judgments? I mean, if that was the case, how could we enforce laws, give advice, correct a child, or hold employees accountable? So in verse 1, he says, don't judge. But in verse 6, look what he says. But don't give dogs what is sacred, and don't cast pearls before swine. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you apart. Now, he's using a metaphor here. He's talking about people, certain kinds of people. So he says, don't judge, but then he says, don't give dogs what is sacred or cast pearls before. How do you know someone's a dog or a swine unless you make some sort of judgment about them? 
And what he means is that some people are so difficult, so uh, belligerent and dysfunctional that if you even try to reason with them, they will trample the truth and even may turn on you. You know anybody like that? You may have a parent like that. Some of you are nodding your heads. It's like, oh, yeah. So some of you might have a sibling or friend like that whose level of dysfunction and sin is so great that you can't even talk to them or be around them. Jesus said, look, it's a waste of time, really, to offer pearls of wisdom to swine-like people. He made a judgment. I've told this story before, but several years ago, I was in Italy with my in-laws for eight days. Long time to be anywhere with your in-laws for eight days. But Laurie's parents took us as a gift. Uh, she has two other sisters, and so the three sisters and the three of us husbands. And all eight of us were standing in line uh, in Florence, Italy, one day, and it was your typical European bus station, massive humanity, plumes of cigarette smoke, everyone's exhausted from a long day, and we got in this bus line 45 minutes early for the two-hour ride back to where we were staying, and you didn't want to be late because the bus filled up quickly, and then you had to wait two more hours for the next bus to come along. We were fourth in line. And I looked back, and there were far more people in line than there were available seats on that bus. But no matter where you are in the world, there's a universal rule about no cutting in line. And everybody knows it. No cutsies. This is a worldwide, around the globe, everybody understands it. But five minutes before the bus came, two 20-something kids... Uh, dressed in gothic black leather boots, pierced everything, tattoos everywhere, smoking something funny, walked right up to the front of the line and just stood there in defiance. An elderly couple in their 70s who had been standing there for over an hour said the back of the line is over there. I mean, the, the tension in the air was immediate, but these two kids totally blew them off, didn't even flinch. And I gotta tell you, this is when I hate being a pastor because I wanted to grab the kid's nose ring and lead him to the back of the line. But then I heard this little voice inside, but Bob, what would Jesus do? And I said back, I think Jesus would grab the guy's nose ring and lead him to the back of the line. I do, come on. And then a minute before the bus came, two more kids showed up, and they too cut in front of the line. And this little 70-year-old lady had had it. She pointed her finger at those kids and said, get to the back of the line. And the rest of us stood behind her thinking, you tell them, lady. <laughs> but I knew this, is, this could go either way. And so I looked around at this very elderly crowd for support because if those kids took a swing at that lady, I was going in. I was going to fight these kids because I'm a fighter, kind of. <laughs> yeah. But I didn't want to go in alone because who knows what had, you know, they had hidden behind their trench coats. So I looked, I looked at the crowd, and I saw my two brothers-in-law, a few, you know, people back, hiding behind their, their wives' skinny jeans, kind of hiding out in the crowd. I said, Tim and Dave, get up here. Get up here. They never came. They left me standing there. But then the two latecomers backed off. I don't know why they did. The crowd let the other two get on, on the bus, and that was the end of it. But here's my question. In situations like that, what do you do? Do you say, you know, better not judge. Don't say anything. Don't step in. 
I mean, I think you absolutely step in and protect a lady. And by the way, it has nothing to do with tattoos and nose rings. I'm completely okay with that stuff on other people's kids, okay? It's fine. I care less, really. But it has everything to do with defending innocent people. Look at the Bible says about this, Proverbs 31. Speak up. Come on. Speak up and, here's the word, judge fairly. Judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Another verse in Psalms says it this way. Defend the cause of the weak. How do you defend somebody if you, don't know, if you don't make some kind of judgment about right and wrong? So Jesus said, don't judge. But friends, if we don't make judgments about justice, morality, and sin, then we're going to end up with what we have. Domestic violence all over the place. Students beating up teachers in the classrooms today. People disrupting airports. Mobs shutting down streets and malls and complete disregard for me. Are you telling me we don't make any wise judgments? I mean, come on. Now, I'm going to make, I'm going to take this in two parts. Let's deal with Jesus' warning not to judge first because that's a real deal. And then look at what you and I absolutely, I believe, according to Scripture, absolutely must judge So, first of all, three reasons why judging other people really is quite dangerous. Okay, first reason is this. We often don't know the full story. You know, the word for judge that Jesus uses here is crino, and it's where we get the word criticize. But to judge somebody isn't so much when you criticize their behavior or appearance. It's when you devalue them. You diminish them as a person that stops you from treating them with any kind of tenderness or forgiveness. So going back to the defiant kids in Italy, there's a big difference between criticizing their behavior, which is okay, should do that. Big difference between that, though, and thinking they're complete idiots who have no value, which is not okay. God actually loves every human being and actually asks us to do the same. The truth about those kids is we don't know their story. What if at an early age, you know, their parents left them and they were shuffled around in foster care in temporary places where they never felt safe, never stayed in one home or school very long, so they never played sports, could excel in school or make friends? What if they were abused by somebody, bullied by other people, basically rejected wherever they went? I mean, when you look at somebody's story, you can often tell why they act out the way they do. What if they were raised in a good home, went to a good school, were introduced to the love of Jesus at an early age? Would that have made a difference? I don't know. But I do know if I hadn't had godly parents who loved me, and Christian mentors who invested in me, if I didn't have access to higher education that opened doors of opportunity to me, and a great church where God's truth and love was explained to me all lifelong, there is no way I would be standing here today. I don't know where I'd be. So Jesus taught it's it's a very dangerous thing to judge somebody because we don't know their story. We don't know the hopes, dreams, and tenderness of spirit that maybe was crushed out of them along the way. Second reason it's dangerous to judge. We invite God's judgment on ourselves. I mean, this this one's a, a big deal. Look what Jesus says. Judge not, or you too will be judged. Key phrase, in the same way 
you judge others, you too will be judged. question that rises here is how harshly do you want God to judge you? What standard do you and I want God to use on us when it comes to doling out judgment? Do we want, do we want God to be forgiving and merciful to us or do we want him to be unforgiving and bring the full measure of judgment? I don't know about you, but I need all the forgiveness and mercy I can get. I don't ever want to subject myself to the full measure of God's judgment and punishment by being so judgmental of other people. Jesus said it in another way. He said, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. How merciful are you toward those who struggle with sin, have annoying habits, believe differently, differently than you do, or just rub you the wrong way? How much mercy are you and I willing to extend to people who really bother us? I mean, it's a dangerous thing to pass judgment on others because whatever scale we use, however harsh, however tender we might be, is the same scale the Bible says God's going to use on us. Third reason why it's a dangerous thing, we have a bad case of plankitis. At least I do. Jesus was a brilliant teacher, and in verse 3, he exaggerates something to make a point. And he says, we all have a sight problem. Every one of us do. He says, look, why, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your friend's eye, and here's a key phrase, and pay no attention to the plank sticking out of your own eye? In other words, we oftentimes don't even see this plank, this log, this sinful problem that you and, you and I might struggle with. We don't even see it because we're so enamored with somebody else's issues. And Jesus is using the absurd to make a point. In fact, I, I brought a little plank. Actually, it's a two-by-four. But Jesus said we often like, those of us who have this problem often like to you know, use our plank, and we have this plank sticking out of our eye, and we just kind of swing it around criticizing those people of this little tiny speck in their eye. How absurd it is for us to, you know, swing our plank around while trying to correct someone who has this little piece of sawdust. And he says, as absurd as it is, it's equally absurd for sinful people like you and me to cast judgment on other Sinful people. On my day off, I, I hate to admit this, but I'm a terrible driver on my day off because I let down. I'm slower. I, I don't pay attention as well. I sometimes don't use my blinker, and that drives my wife crazy because she says it drives other people crazy. She sure judges me in that. <laughs> sometimes I pull out into traffic on my day off, and I don't accelerate fast enough, and that also drives her crazy. She sometimes feels a need to remind me that stop signs are actually stop signs and not rolling signs, and she kind of chirps away at me all day long in the car. That's on my day off. On all the other days, I'm on a mission, and I'm not real patient with other people who are clearly on their day off. On all other six days, I get out my plank and I swing it at people. I even call them things. I'm embarrassed to tell you that. 
Many years ago, I was driving through Warren, Pennsylvania, where my parents grew up, northern Pennsylvania. And a guy sort of cut in front of me, and so I naturally said, what a moron. My mom was with me, and she said, that's my brother Ken. <laughs> and, and Ken's not a moron at all. He's a great guy. He's a Christian. He's one of my favorite uncles, but just right out of him, what a moron. But that's what plankitis does. It criticizes the little speck in somebody else's eye and completely ignores the plank in my own. I've got enough issues of my own to consume 99% of my energy focused here. Jesus said, we all have this disease. We all love to pass judgment on others. We think are far more sinful than we are. He says, but anybody who does that really isn't seeing clearly. They're not seeing how deep their own sin is and how ridiculous they look with this huge plank sticking out of their eye. In fact, let me push this just a little bit further. I was really thinking about this in my own life this week as I prepared my thoughts. To be honest with you, you know, when somebody offends me or crosses me or I think isn't fair with me, my natural response is to judge them. It just happens so naturally. I find fault with that person and think about all the bad qualities this person has compared to all the good qualities that I have. And then without even thinking, I kind of label them and I put them in a category that allows me to dismiss them. Oh, they're, they're that kind of person. Oh, of course. They belong to that group. Of course they're that way. And I kind of dismiss them and diminish them and I've got to tell you, that's the easy way out. It takes the least amount of energy or work just to judge somebody and put them in a category and just kind of write them off my list and keep my distance. That's easy. Anybody can do that. The hard way is to practice what the Bible calls long suffering. Long-suffering is when I'm willing to suffer. It's when I'm willing to put up with another person's flaws with the hope that I might have a relationship with them. Long-suffering is is willing to give somebody a second, third, and even fourth chance. It's willing to hang in there when I've been mistreated and hurt. It's being willing to expose my heart one more time to somebody hurting it with the hope that if I do that, Maybe, maybe we can relate in a different way. How much should a person long suffer? It kind of depends, to be honest. It doesn't mean you subject yourself to ongoing mistreatment. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean you even stay in a relationship. You might have to get some professional help even to help you know how to deal with a difficult person and to know where the boundaries are and get help with that. And you have to measure how much your heart can take sometimes because some of you are dealing with a dishonest, manipulative, hurtful person who frankly needs to grow up and get help before there can ever be a relationship. 
Some people are not relationship material in their present state. That's their responsibility to get help. It's not yours. So it kind of depends how much long-suffering you extend. But I'm telling you, in my own life, the easy way out is when I judge people and write them off when they hurt me and just say, I'm done with that. The harder way, and I think the godly way, is to extend grace. And it kills me sometimes, but to give them another chance and hang in there with the relationship, even though it's so difficult to do that. Now, for the fun of it, what are some signs? What are some signs of plankitis that, and these are kind of mine. So if, you, you know, if you're a Vikings fan and actually think Packer fans are an inferior species, I mean, you actually think that you might have this problem. Second, <laughs> if in traffic you regularly refer to people, other drivers as morons, jerks, and idiots, or worse. I mean, I do this all the time. If you think there's no way a person can be a Christian, be a liberal or a conservative. <laughs> I know that's a dicey one. When you see, here's, here's one. When you see grown men playing solitaire candy crush or flappy bird on their iPhones in airports, and you immediately judge them, Okay, that one's okay. They should be judged. Whenever I see that, it's like, come on. Find a book. Good grief. Grow up. Sorry about that. But Jesus said, look, it is a dangerous thing to judge others because we don't know their story. We invite God's judgment on ourselves and we suffer from plankitis. Does that mean we should never judge? Absolutely not. One of the dumbest things people say is Christians should never judge. So they see a friend, child, or family member doing or saying something wrong, and they say, better not judge. Who am I to judge? Better not say anything. And so they sit back. They avoid all conflict and never say a word when they should. In fact, I'm telling you, I think we're raising a whole generation who's been conditioned to not make wise judgments about anything. Whole generation who's beginning to think, hey, there's no right and wrong. Anything goes. What you do is your business. Who am I to judge? I think this drives me nuts. Folks, if you are a parent, it is your job to make wise judgments about your child's internet use, choice of friends, and spiritual well-being. You say, but Bob, that's going to cause conflict. Of course. It's a parent's job to cause some conflict. It's not fun to be a parent. It's hard work. You need to engage. If you don't, your child will lose and be ill-prepared for life. If you're a teacher, counselor, coach, or business person, it's your job to make wise judgments about people's behavior and performance. You say, but that's going to cause conflict. Of course. Sometimes you need conflict to bring out the issues. If you're a friend to somebody and your friend is abusing alcohol, or thinking about leaving their spouse for somebody else, and you say nothing, that's not being a friend at all. Man, if I'm heading over a cliff, I hope I have several friends who love me and are strong enough to warn me about that cliff. Friends like that, I'm telling you, are hard to find, but they are pure gold if they know how to do it lovingly. So how do we do this? How do we make wise judgments without hitting people with a plank? There's two areas that you must judge. Area number one, you got to judge yourself first. You just do. Look what Jesus says. Look, first, first, take the plank that we all have. Deal with your own stuff. You know, look, look inside. 
take the plank out of your own. Then, then he says, then he says, you'll be able to remove the speck from your friend's eye. The cure for plankitis is to deal with your own stuff first, and then you can help others. The scary thing about me, I've got flaws and habits that I'm unaware of, oftentimes. Everybody else is aware of them. My wife is aware of them for sure. My kids, my colleagues are aware. But I'm oftentimes not aware. So I will say things and do things that are really off-putting and offensive and not even know it. I can be an idiot and not even know it. But everybody else does. And I'm like, I'm cool. But I'm not cool. To everybody else, they think, what, what a bonehead. So about 10 years ago, our board decided to help me with that. Wasn't that nice? And they told me to go see a counselor for a full year. Man, that was tough. That was painful. I didn't want to go. But I began to see how destructive my patterns were. And I'm telling you, it saved me on many, many levels, maybe even saved my career. Author psychologist Henry Cloud says it this way. And by the way, if you're not reading Henry Cloud, you should. He says this, the goal of spiritual growth is not perfection. Nobody's going to be perfect. None of us are. We're all flawed. It's becoming, here's the key word, increasingly aware. Do you even know what the issues are in your life that offend people of weaknesses and sin and then making constant corrections and adjustments? So I did that. I started making corrections and adjustments, and I thought I was done. I thought, you know, I got this nailed. But my old patterns began reemerging because spiritual growth never stops, no matter who you are. So the board decided to help me again. Weren't they nice? So we did a deeper dive into what the effects were that my childhood had on me, especially with my father, who, by the way, was a great dad, great leader, but not very forgiving of himself, and therefore not very forgiving of other people. Guess what? As I looked into this, I learned that I'm not very forgiving of myself and therefore not very forgiving of other people. And so I've been working on not being so hard and going easier on myself. And I've noticed something that as I've tried to be a little easier on myself, I've become a little easier and more forgiving and more kind-spirited toward those around me. But it took a counselor for a full year for me to understand that so important issue. Jesus said, look, in order to judge others correctly, you have to judge yourself first. You've got to remove the plank first. Second thing we should judge, we should make wise judgments about other fellow believers particularly. So in 1 Corinthians 5, great, great text, Paul wrote some very strong words to a church that refused to confront some people who were committing some really awful sins inside the church after he dealt with a very specific sexual sin that even today's culture would be just unbelievable, he summed it up and he told this church these words. He said, you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a Christian. I mean, that's pretty strong. You, you gotta use some judgment even to know that. You must not associate with anybody who claims to be a Christian but is sexually immoral, greedy, an idolater, slander, drunkard, or swindler, he concludes, it is not our business as Christians to judge those outside the church, but are you not to judge those inside? In other words, of course you are. He says, don't judge unbelievers outside the church so much because they don't know any better about their sin. 
They don't have Christ inside them. But we as Christians must judge and appropriately confront those who are Christians and are part of our church who are openly sinning. See, one of the most courageous things you will ever do is confront another believer who is involved in some sort of sin. One of the most courageous things you'll do. takes enormous energy to do that and enormous wisdom. But friends, out of love, out of love, would you ever have the courage to say to someone you care about, look, I'm concerned, concerned that your temper is keeping everybody on edge and it's pushing people away. Would you ever be able to say to a friend you care about, look, I'm worried that your drinking is affecting your, your life and it's out of control and affecting more people than just you? Would you ever be able to say, look, your problem with pornography is affecting your treatment of women and eroding your chance for any sort of future intimacy? Do you know that about yourself? Would you ever be able to say to someone, your habit of going to gentlemen's clubs dishonors God and is damaging to your relationships? Would you ever have the courage and wisdom to say to someone you love, look, I'm concerned that you're allowing your heart to fall for a girl that's cause, causing you to fall far away from God? Would you ever have the courage to say to somebody, it appears to you that you're choosing your live-in boyfriend over your relationship with Jesus? Would you ever be able to say, you know, I love you too much. You deserve to know that when you lie to people, it kills any chance for relationship. I'm telling you, the most, the most courageous thing you can do and most difficult is to confront somebody about their sins so that their life can go better. In fact, it, it's so difficult to do this that if you actually enjoy confronting people, that might be a problem. <laughs> this is so hard. If you actually enjoy doing that, I mean, you may have a motivation problem. Okay? The goal is to help somebody. So two areas we must judge. Judge yourself, friends. Judge yourself. Judge myself. And then other believers, not to hurt each other, but to lovingly help each other get out of destructive patterns. So the next time you hear somebody say, Christians should never sin, you kind of you got to say, oh, come on. You say, no, Christians are commanded to judge. Christians should never judge. No, Christians are commanded to judge. First judge themselves, then other believers who need some help. Okay. By the way, there is a third area we don't have time to get into today, but... There's a third area that you and I absolutely must judge, and that's with cultural and moral issues. Folks, there is such a thing as truth. There is such a thing as right and wrong, and you and I need to make wise judgments about all kinds of cultural and social and moral issues, or I'm telling you, we're in big trouble. But thank God we have Christians who are making wise judgments about those kinds of things. So, that's for another day we're going to talk about. Uh, in closing, I'm going to end with a closing prayer uh, for all of you. And I just want to invite, just for a couple more minutes, just invite you to stay seated right where you are. And what I want to do is just raise three questions for you to think about prayerfully uh, before God today as we come to a close. So at all campuses, we just bow with me and in a prayerful attitude, just... Uh,
Think about these three questions. First question is this. Is there an area in your life that maybe you need to deal with first? Anybody here have a critical spirit? Harsh words? Bursts of anger? Just incredible worry? Jesus said, cast all your cares on me. For I care about you. Anything you need to deal with first? Second question, is there a person you really care about who you need to speak truth to and bring a sort of judgment? You see it, everybody else sees it. Are you willing? Will you be courageous enough to in the right way in the right time? Pull that person aside and say, hey, look, I love you too much. Final question, is there someone you've just kind of written off and dismissed that maybe you need to give another chance to, even if it means long-suffering and exposing your heart to being hurt again? I don't know. That's a really hard one. God, thank you that you are a forgiving and merciful God to me. You know my flaws. You know my sins. You know my weaknesses better than I do. Sometimes I say and do things I'm not even aware of it. But there you stand with mercy and grace. Thank you. My prayer for myself and for everyone here, God, is that we would all become more generous in our mercy. But also, God, that we would have the discernment and character of spirit to make wise judgments and call sin what it is. Not to hurt people, but to try to help. God, we love you and need you in this matter. It's a difficult one. But thank you that you're gracious. We love you in Jesus' name.